Good evening and welcome to Tee It Up Talk, real relevant and applicable conversations about today's hot topics and more. Excited to have on uh, with us today, Attorney Corbett and, and my good friend Keith Wiggins as we step back and just kind of reflect and have conversation regarding the uh, Breonna Taylor uh, decision that was um, handed out a couple days ago from the Attorney General there in Kentucky. So uh, without further ado, uh, Attorney Corbett, we'll start with you. I think probably um, the one thing that can possibly set the tone for the conversation is just from your legal mind, can you help us or kind of walk us through uh, the decision that was laid out from a legal standpoint? Okay, sure. Um, so you have the incident that occurred with Brianna Taylor, I think occurred on or about March 13th of this year. Police had obtained a no-knock warrant, and a no-knock warrant is a search warrant, which allows officers to enter and search a person's home and who they are. Miss um, Taylor's former boyfriend had already been arrested, and police had obtained a warrant, and the information they provided to the judge was that a couple of months prior, someone had been seen at the apartment and receiving a, a possible drug drug package. Um, prior to them serving though the warrant, they received information that Ms. Taylor was, was called a soft target, meaning that she's not the main person that we're looking for uh, and that they're only looking for money and or drugs possibly in the apartment. The warrant is served shortly after midnight. Um, there's some discrepancy as to whether the officers announced themselves as being police officers or not. They say they did, which with a no-knock warrant, they don't have to, but they say they did anyway. Um, Mr. Walker, who was Ms. Taylor's boyfriend, indicated that he heard knocking or banging at the door, but never heard anyone say that they were police. And there were witnesses who lived nearby. Um, I think maybe two, at least two, say they didn't hear anything. And one said he initially, after being interviewed twice, said he didn't hear anything. And then the third time said he did. But yet the three officers, Maddenly, Cosgrove, and Haskins, they burst through the door. Officer Maddenly is the first one to go through. And he stated that he saw Mr. Walker, Ms. Taylor, and that Mr. Walker had a gun. And Mr. Walker shot, uh, fired one shot. Excuse me and struck Maddie in the leg. Walker does not dispute about firing the shot. Um, Cosgrove fired as well, and Haskins fired as well. Haskins, though, shot through a window or sliding glass door. Of the three officers, only Haskins was terminated. Um, the other two, I think, were reassigned. Um, and of the three officers, only Haskins was indicted. Haskins was indicted for wanton endangerment, and in Kentucky, that is a Class D felony, uh, meaning that you can serve from one to five years in prison as well as pay a fine. And Haskins was indicted because, pursuant to policy, um, I believe they stated he did not have a clear line of sight. He's firing randomly into a home, um, and that's clearly a violation, and that's he's the only one that was indicted. The attorney general, I think in his press conference, stated that there was discrepancy with the ballistics report. 
um, the Kentucky Police Department's crime lab was unable to conclude out of three officers which one fired the fatal shot that killed Miss Taylor. The FBI crime lab determined that Cosgrove was the one who fired the fatal shot. And the attorney general stated that because of that built in discrepancy, that that would lead to reasonable doubt if they had proceeded to trial. But he also stated they had already concluded that the officers, well, Hat Maddenly, former officers, well, officers Maddenly and Cos Maddenly and Cosgrove were justified in their shooting. Um, so it didn't make a difference about the discrepancy in the ballistics report. So as a result, out of those of the three officers who shot into the home, only one had, was indicted and he was not indicted for striking or killing Miss Taylor. He was indicted for shooting randomly into an apartment that could have injured other people. Gotcha. Gotcha. So those are the facts as we know them. Those are the facts as stated by the attorney general. So we appreciate, appreciate you going through those facts and, and kind of laying them out for us. Um, uh, Keith, did you have anything before I jump in? Yeah. So, so Rob, kind of based on what you know around those facts um, and, and what has happened, do you feel that if this were, if this happened in a different locale, um, with probably a Democratic AG that there might have been a different outcome? Or, or let me rephrase the question. What type of charges would have been reasonable based on the outcome of what we've seen? Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult um, because, I, um, because, you know, I think of it and, you know, we all know or deep down, at least like we all feel that if it had been switched, that if you have black police officers going into um, the home late at night, and you have a white couple and the boyfriend shoots at police, then you're gonna have gun rights advocates who are gonna be championing and say, this is why we have the second amendment to protect our home from things such as this. And if the officer had killed um, an innocent white woman, um, you know, there's like more um, discussion about, hey, these officers should be charged. But even in that situation, regardless if you change it, from a prosecutor's viewpoint, I can still see it coming down a similar way. And the reason I say that is you have sort of competing doctrines or theories, legal theories that are taking place. For Kenneth Walker, he has castle doctrine, which means that you can protect your home. You're allowed to use deadly force in your home when you feel that you are in danger. So that's why, although they charged him with attempted murder, they went back and said, you know, we can't do this. He could defend himself because he didn't know that these were police coming in. And then you have the opposite of police officers. If they are fired upon, they can use deadly force to defend themselves. Um, so and that's not unusual in terms of for a prosecutor to make that determination. The issue I think I have though with this case is the lack of transparency. We don't know all that that the AG looked at. Um, and without that, how can you say that he made the appropriate call? In other situations like this, you'll have the prosecutor kind of say, look, this is what we did. This is how we came to this decision. 
or even locally, our elected DA has done that when he has chosen not to proceed on cases or charging police officers. So it's sort of hard to say in terms of a, what charges could come out. If it had been shown, though, that Haskins um, killed Miss Taylor, then Haskins could be charged with reckless homicide. Kentucky has four levels of homicide, and reckless homicide is one of them. And that would apply if he had been the one who killed Miss Taylor. Okay. Was he the one that fired through the, the glass, sliding glass door? Yeah. He's the one who fired blindly without knowing what or who he was shooting at. Okay. Gotcha. So, so basically, the uh, AG is saying that these individuals um, acted somewhat appropriately based on the law that was in place and based on their ability to utilize that no-knock warrant to enter the home of Breonna Taylor. Yeah. And even like whether it was like no, no, not the no, not warrant part helps Mr. Walker in terms right. of for them to say, hey, yeah. well, if you don't know who who it was, then yeah, that helps him. So whether it was a no knock or, or not, then they're saying under the law, they have made the decision that they act in a self-defense. Now, what happens if you and I act in self-defense is we don't always get that benefit of the doubt and uh, that I've had right. cases of where I can say, look, my client acted in self-defense and a prosecutor can say, okay, fine, you tell that to the jury, but we're not going to refrain from charging you. Excuse me. In fact, I have that now probably in a couple of cases. So, I mean, they'll charge, they'll charge you anyway, and then you have to wait and go through the process and the negotiations for them to either see it is self-defense or for them to say, well, no, I'm just not going to believe it and let the jury decide. With officers, though, they don't do that. They say, yeah, you acted in self-defense, that was reasonable, and there's no need for us to charge. So that's kind of standard for officers in general. That's kind of what you see across the board. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's fair if I can say it, it's standard, but I, I get, well, maybe maybe, maybe we can say that because like, there have been plenty of cases of where we see that officers aren't charged or the delay in charging is because they are saying, look, I acted in self-defense, I had to do this. And then you have to go through a lengthy investigation before charges are brought, if they are, where it doesn't happen with lay people. Lay people, you get charged and then the investigation like continues. But with officers, they want to make sure they've done everything first and then before they they bring charges, which okay. should probably be like that for everybody. Right, right. And that's what I was kind of alluding, but I, no, I appreciate that. And. Um, I have a couple other lines of questions, but could you help us understand or help everyone understand the difference between the civil settlement that happened and what they were trying to pursue from the criminal case? Because I, I think what we're seeing is people are probably saying, well, these guys are negligent, but that doesn't always necessarily lend to some type of criminal case coming to trial or some type of right. someone being charged from a, for, from a criminal standpoint. Right. So like for the civil suit um, for um, civil versus criminal civil, you're trying to get someone to stop something, stop doing something, or you're saying that you were harmed in such a way and that you're entitled to damages. Um, so the city settled with the Louisville, Kentucky settled with the Taylor family, the settlement being $12 million. Um, I found that odd and that it was settled so quickly and before there was any announcement regarding criminal charges. And in addition to that, there was no non-disclosure agreement. 
meaning that a lot of times in these cases, there's an agreement that you can't talk about it and you can't say what the amount was, but you didn't have that here. Um, so I did not think based on the delay, how long it's taken, I didn't think they were going to bring charges. And once the announcement was made that they had settled before they talked about charges, I was further convinced that they weren't going to be indicted. So I wasn't that surprised um, based on the, the news conference or the judge saying that this was the only indictment that was returned. Gotcha. No, I, that makes sense. I totally, totally understand that. And um, so do from a legal standpoint, does the Taylor family have any other course of action that they can take to one possibly see the evidence that was presented uh, by the AG and or um, will there be any other options they will have from the I think the FBI has an investigation going on as well. Is that an option that to bring some form of charges or take some things higher or to a different place um, from a legal standpoint? Um, so first question in terms of are they allowed to see the evidence? Um, they can. There's no law that prohibits you from seeing it, uh, but there's no law that says that they have to sit down, that the okay. police department, FBI has to sit down with the family and show them. Um, okay. can lay it all out and say, look, as this was a tough decision. I know people don't agree with it. But this is what we looked at. Uh, and he, I guess he did that in part. But um, but show, hey, this is what we have. Uh, and this is why we came to, to that decision. Sort of like um, what the prosecutor did in Atlanta. Uh, and I apologize because I can't remember the, the man's name who was at the drive through and ran from the police and then was shot in the back. Um, during that press conference, they laid everything out saying, hey, this is all the evidence we looked at. This is why we are charging for this particular crime. And, you know, they could have done that or it could still do that in this case, in Ms. Taylor's case. But you said what recourse do they have? Um, yeah, not I don't really. Um, civil side is done. Um, I think Ms. Walker's uh, not Ms. Walker, Ms. Taylor's boyfriend, Mr. Walker. I think he's filed a civil lawsuit right. in terms of criminal charges, though, um, local prosecutor had already, I guess, declined it since that's why the AG came in. Um, local police department didn't charge, so there's no reason to think they're going to charge now. Um, no reason to think the local prosecutor will take the case. If the FBI is looking at it, um, it could then they could uh, potentially do a federal case, but then the U.S. Attorney's Office would have to, to pick up the case and say that there's some criminal civil rights violation. Gotcha. Okay, so now that that helps lay out some of those pieces, and so I think a lot of the frustration then too is the lack of transparency, uh, because the AG had just has decided not to kind of lay all those facts out or all the things that uh, his team uh, presented um, to the grand jury. So that's that's pretty interesting, and um, so it, it sounds like more of the fight then is going to be around. Uh, Laws, laws and legalities and making sure certain laws are in place or aren't in place so that some of these things don't happen in the future, i.e. the no knock. I mean, we can dispute whether the person knocked and they announced themselves or not, but 
it really didn't matter because they had a no knock warrant anyway. Um, right. So, uh, um, how does how does that look? Uh, or are there any statistics that you know of around these no knock warrants and how successful they are, and or the the types of tragedies that happen because of no knock warrants? Yeah, not, I don't know the specifics off the top of my head. I do know that there was a list out there and it talked about in terms of how many people have been killed, how many officers, how many civilians have been killed um, in serving no-knock warrants. And I don't remember the, the period of time, but it was double digits um, that I remember somebody quoting. Um, there is a law in place or there's a law in the state legislature in Kentucky um, or has been proposed to end no-knock warrants. I think the Louisville uh, Police Department has said they are no longer going to conduct no-knock warrants. Um, and this is in terms of you had problems in this case before they even got to her home in right. that they shouldn't have been trying to use a no-knock warrant when she is not the queenpin. They are not trying to apprehend a dangerous suspect. They are only looking to see if she had drugs or money somewhere in the home. Then you could have done that in the early morning hours in terms of you want to catch people, I guess, off guard. Do it at four or five o'clock in the morning when people are just getting up trying to go to work or uh, do it in terms of announce that you were police with a bullhorn. Say, hey, police are out here. We need you to come outside right away um, or we're going to go in. The information they had wasn't timely. And that it was based on stuff they knew from like maybe like a couple of months prior. So because of that, I mean, you had so this is a build of all these things coming forward, which is why they shouldn't even been there that night. And then you kind of look at in terms of that's legal what they did. Um, But just because it's legal doesn't make it right. Slavery used to be legal, you know, but just so it's legal doesn't make it right. And you have to wonder, would you have done this in other parts of the community? Like for here, we could say, look, you would do this on West Boulevard, but would you go to Ballantyne and execute a no-knock warrant when all you're doing is trying to see if somebody has money in the house? They probably wouldn't. So there's a, a disregard maybe for certain people in the community and that you're addressing that at the uh, department, at their policy level, who's making those decisions. Gotcha. Yep. So it, it, again, it goes back to a a understanding or restructure or reform from um, uh, a police standpoint or a legal standpoint, because I am I'm with you. I'm trying to understand how the judge granted these no knock warrants. It, it doesn't really I don't understand that to me. It's um, and I could be wrong, but it's uh, once again, one of those things where we have this, quote unquote, war on drugs. But the, the way we're waging this war isn't proper. Um, and individuals that look a lot like us tend to um, get the negative end of some of these things that they're doing to try to quote unquote wage uh, this war on drugs. But Keith, I didn't know. I wanted to lean over to you to see if you had any more questions or thoughts on something. Yeah. I mean, just in the way that things have kind of shook out, I mean, you, you have the presumptions of being right by police officers and then you have the presumption of guilt, um, and I'll just generalize by people of color, and and we're, we're fighting this battle of of trying to still have um, equal footing, you know, just in in getting our our death investigated, and and you know Rob pointed out how this had been 
you know, a different scenario that we probably would have had different, more, more of an outcry, a national outcry in terms of the way it happened and, and maybe some other organizations that would have um, stepped up and argued about it. But, I mean, we saw the same thing with um, Philando Castile when he was, was killed in his car. Um, the NRA was silent about that, that situation. Um, right. You know, there was a situation where um, uh, Atiana Jefferson, um, and she was a woman that was killed when her, her nephew was playing games. They were up late at night, and the police officer came and shot her because he saw her with a gun in, in, his, in her hand. Um, he was charged, but it, it, was, it was so blatant. And, and again, um, you know, this situation is one where, in my mind, and, and again, I'm not a, a lawyer. I did watch Law and Order last night, but um, <laughs> I, I, I look at the case for criminal negligence and all of the things that did have to happen in order for them to get to this point. And I, and I wonder if there's a case for that, because we can be found criminal, criminally negligent, like, you know, driving a car and, you know, vehicular homicide. Um, and would that ever apply to the police, or are they just held or, or given such leeway that this um, shield of immunity they have for those things from happening? Is, is that something that's possible? Or have you ever seen that happen with police officers, Rob? Uh, police officers charged with, I mean, um, and what what example again? Like criminal negligence in terms of they just did so many things wrong um, to get to a certain point that it was a crime in and of itself. Yeah, so it, it, it depends on, like I said, the the state and the laws that apply. For instance, like for in North Carolina, we have um, our criminal negligence is probably like the results of death is going to be an involuntary manslaughter. And that is that you are doing something inherently risky or um, criminally negligent and it results in the death of another. Um, but then you still have to apply the law to the facts. So if this happened in North Carolina, it, it's just, it's the same issue of would they be charged? They wouldn't be charged with murder because that is um, um, that is the intent to kill in a specific premeditation deliberation. So it wouldn't apply to uh, murder, first degree or second degree. And then even if you looked at involuntary manslaughter, you're still butting heads with the well, but was he, if he's in the right to, if he's justified to return fire when he's shot at, then it wouldn't, involuntary manslaughter wouldn't apply either. And so that's the same thing in terms of for Kentucky in that you're weighing self-defense versus their version, which is reckless homicide. Um, could they be charged in terms of like, it's all just like, I mean, you know, just people talking in terms of, you know, what they think. And then that's how a lot of criminal trial, I mean, that's what not how a lot. That is what charging decisions are. It's prosecutorial discretion. So if that, you know, AG says, hey, I'm looking at reckless homicide and self-defense. And because these things are both present, I'm just going to opt not to charge. Another DA could say it's reckless homicide and it's self-defense. Rather than me make that decision, I'm going to charge and I'll let the jury decide. And the jury comes back and says self-defense. So be it but I'll at least charge and, you know, and we'll go forward with the case. So, you know, that goes back like, hey, who we elect to make those decisions and how important that is. That AG in Kentucky um, hadn't done criminal law. Uh, he clerked for Mitch McConnell and 
you know, somebody else. And then um, after that, he joined a law firm in Kentucky and ran um, last year. But I don't think he's done criminal law. So he hasn't worked on these cases. So, I mean, that's an important when you look at it in terms of, you know, who, who are we voting for? Right. Go ahead, Keith. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that's a good point, um, because with our elections coming up, I mean, how do we how do we bet, you know, who we're actually voting for? Because so many times there's so many names on the ballot. Um, you know, you don't necessarily know who you're voting for. You see a name. Sometimes you might know a face, but how, how can we find out information about who we're voting for? Yeah, and all that sh when, um, you know, like different forums that you have in terms of, you know, like uh, Black Political Caucus of Charlotte, you know, does forums, but you have all the, you know, the, you know, various uh, political organizations, you know, put on forums. And, you know, so outside of just like going to those, meeting and greeting, um, you know, that's, you know, it could be tough because a lot of times, you know, you go to the polls and they just give you a sheet and you could say, hey, I don't know half these people. Like I heard um, North Carolina has the ninth longest ballot um, this election. We have the ninth longest ballot in the country. Um, so they're going to be like plenty of people where we look at. We like, hey, I don't know who these people are. Um, so I'm going on someone else's recommendation as to who's the best candidate. And we, you know, maybe a lot of people, we got to do a good job, better job of educating ourselves and, and helping to educate others in terms of, hey, for this particular race, this is who, you know, should be the better candidate, you know, based on the, this criteria. Gotcha. So I guess kind of moving forward, I mean, I understand the importance and the need to continue to protest to. Uh, bring awareness to the situation, what's happened, how things kind of played out uh, to help with understanding uh, that certain things, certain laws or things that we have in place, we need to make sure that we're voting in a way that uh, helps to correct or, or change or uh, some of those laws or, or, or at least helps us to better understand those laws so we know how to kind of act or present ourselves um, when we put in certain situations, but at one point, uh, is it possibly um, uh, a, a judge's fault or or uh, or someone uh, from a superiority standpoint? Because I'm thinking you have these guys coming in, uh, and this is a B team. I'm calling them the B team because this isn't the team that actually was part of the investigation for what was happening. These were people that they kind of put together. Um, to go in because the other group was going in to do some other or to serve some other no knock warrant. So not only did they uh, probably, uh, you know, cause what happened or indirectly uh, possibly cause what happened to Breonna Taylor, they, they put their own uh, representatives, those police officers in danger uh, as well, by one, not having, uh, up-to-date information if you're going on information that was a month two to th two to three months uh, uh, you know prior um, and you're sending your individuals in um, with a no-knock warrant and you know with no knock you have no idea what's going to happen what's you know what's going to take place at what point are individuals that are um, you know the, the superior of the officers that have I guess you could say that serve the no-knock warrant, at what point are they uh, responsible or are they responsible in any way for some of those things that don't go 
the right way. Yeah, and and that's where we you talk where we get to of where something can be a civil violation and not be criminal. So a superior who says that you know you can say, look, you allowed these officers to go out and you didn't have good intel. The most recent information you had was two months prior. That violates policy. Because of that, you are going to be reprimanded, and we might we'll cite you for termination or some type of discipline. All those things can happen. It gets to, okay, well, what can you be charged with? Because like I said, under the homicide laws that they have, that the, the, the law doesn't apply to those facts. And it's just like the case we have in Charlotte of where um, Harold Easter um, died in police custody earlier right. this year. And allegation was that he had ingested cocaine mm -hmm. and the officers knew he had ingested cocaine. And yet they left him alone for like, you know, I'm interview room. And so the chief of police can say, well, look, that violates policy. You all know that if someone has ingested uh, a controlled substance for you not to you know, leave them, you need to you know, do something or what have you. So they can be fired, but there's not a criminal charge that applies. They can't be charged with a homicide offense because they left them in the room. Uh, it doesn't rise to the level of involuntary manslaughter. So that's why they issued that letter saying why they couldn't charge them. But that doesn't mean that the family doesn't have some other recourse, such as if they wanted to file a lawsuit, if they haven't already. Gotcha. So that, that makes sense. So uh, that's no great, uh, great breakdown for us there on that, that, that civil, that once again, goes back to the civil versus criminal. So totally understand that. So, well, I guess, uh, Robert, how do we move forward? I mean, as we look at this case, um, you know, the decision that was made from a criminal side and the fact that they did get uh, have a settlement uh, on the civil side uh, as a as a community. How do we move forward and, and what do what can we take back or what can we learn from this so that we can move forward? Yeah, and that's I know that's a it's a it's a difficult um conversation in terms of because it, it becomes you're saying, hey, once again, um, this is something that has happened in our community. Yeah, the Malcolm X. Um, 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 sorry, Malcolm X quote that the black woman is the most disrespected person. Um, so how, you know, I heard someone say in terms of even like with voting, how does that doesn't end in terms of racism or how people are, are going to like look at you? Um, but I think it is an on has to be an ongoing process. There's no like sell. There's no easy or one fix. It's constantly looking at who we have um, making these decisions, constantly applying pressure in terms of how they are making decisions and how they are policing our communities. I think only with those systematic changes across the board do you stop these types of things from happening of where it's, it, you look at the letter of the law, then, you know, you can understand and say, OK, hey, I see why they aren't being charged. But like we said, there's so many things that happen on the back end that people that, you know, we need to put pressure on and have them change those policies. Gotcha. Keith, did you have any thoughts on that kind of how we can move forward or any additional questions? Or no, I, I think it's, it's pretty it, it's a tough pill to swallow because. Um, while I understand 
the legal ramifications, it, it still doesn't feel fair or right. And, and I think we're seeing the results of those feelings in the protests that are that, that started right back up immediately after that was announced. And um, it's hard to tell people not to be mad when so many things have happened um, over you know a period of time, and, and we see things continue to happen. Um, you know, I'm looking back. I, I'm, I'm looking back over you know the 400 years since we've been in this country, and I think we as a, as a people of color and how long it took us to just get to a point, to, to this point, you know. So it, it may take another 100, 200 years before things are, are truly equal, but, you know, we have to keep fighting for it. That, that's the bottom line of the way I see it. But we have to keep raising the flag. We have to keep, keep um, saying something when things happen. We have to keep people's names um, in, in our mouths. We have to continue to, to remember, you know, Breonna Taylor and, and and unfortunately, you know, the next person, which which is sad to say that there will be another, um, but we, we cannot let these, these things happen in vain. We cannot let their deaths be in vain. Absolutely. And Robert, man, if you want to tee it up for us, kind of your closing thoughts or remarks, uh, would definitely love to hear them. Uh, what, you know, like I, I always say, whenever I get an opportunity, uh, uh, you know, to speak to anyone, um, and we said in North Carolina, we have not had jury trials since March. We may start back November, but we may not start. But some people think we may not start back to the first of the year. And when you, if you have issues with the criminal justice system and you don't think laws are applied fairly, serving on a jury is something that everyone um, over the age of 18 is entitled to do. It is giving back. It is a means of service and is helping to hold law enforcement, DA's office, what have you, accountable. And that studies show that you have more equitable outcomes, the more diverse your jury is. This is uncertain times. We don't like being around. It's not, you know, we shouldn't be around in groups, but as long as it is a safe situation, and you are able to do it in terms of taking time out from work, then I encourage people that if you are called then to serve and not try to get out of it. Gotcha. No, that's, that's great. I did have a quick question. How was a, a grand jury um, brought in or, or how, where, where do those individuals or the representatives from, from a grand jury come in? Is it the same as the a normal jury process for a criminal case or something? On a grand jury, uh, people who serve on a grand jury, it is a secret proceeding that you are um, you receive like this, the same notice. Uh, but you if you are selected on the grand jury, then you serve on that grand jury from like six to 12 months. Uh, okay. It's secret so that people you don't have to worry about reprisal or saying, hey, these people are coming after me because I said the charges should be brought. And it's usually one sided and that the prosecutor doesn't have to present all the evidence. They don't have to present stuff that helps you. So with Brianna Taylor's case, we don't even know if they presented evidence on um, the two other officers, Cosgroves and Manley. Right. I'm assuming they didn't since he said, the AG said that they had already concluded they acted in self-defense. So they don't even have to present evidence. All they have to do is just present on Haskins and say, um, Haskins, you know, say this is what, what happened. 
Um, and that's why I always say that if a prosecutor wants to you indict it, you get indicted. Um, right. It's, it's rare that they don't indict if, because that's why people say you can indict a ham sandwich. You're only Correct. presenting you're only presenting the evidence that supports your case. Perfect. And, and I want to close with that because that that makes sense. So, look, at the end of the day, if the AG in Kentucky uh, wanted this case to go to trial, then this case would have gone to trial. I'm just that's me speaking and that's my personal. Oh, no, that's, that's absolutely opinion. true. If they wanted to indict, they they would have gotten an indictment, but they'd already stayed. Their review analysis concluded that the officers were justified. Perfect. No, perfect. That that's that was what my thoughts were and and, and where I was kind of going. So, no, I appreciate you uh, bringing that to light. And that's why it's so important to it's a great segue. So important to vote. It's so important to, to as Keith was saying, we have to dig deep. We have to understand um, the positions and, and those things that individuals are running for and make sure that we vote, we get out to vote and we get the right individuals um, in the, the positions or, or in the roles that they're running for. Because if not, situations like this continue will continue to happen. Um, so voting uh, is very, very important. And I agree. I, you know, you, uh, you always bring up that sitting on the jury and the importance of uh, the juror, and you know, it, it it really escaped me until you start bringing that up. That how important uh, that is, and it's something that we can all do. That sometimes we kind of take for granted. But I, I want to leave leave with that as well of the importance of um, jury and and jury duty. If you're called to, if you can, uh, to make sure that you uh, are 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 doing just that, serving uh, and making sure that. You're doing your duty and serving in that role of juror. But uh, Keith, is there anything you want else you wanted to say or close with before we head out? Uh, you know, I'm just thinking of other questions, uh, and I don't want to take us down a rabbit hole, but I, I think we're in a good spot. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Robert, man, again, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today, and kind of as we always leave uh, with um, teed up talk is faith forward with grace, mercy, and love. God bless, man. Y'all have a great one. I do appreciate it again. Thank hey, you. Hey, thank you. Hey, good seeing you brothers again. Absolutely.